matter to everyone, but it really does matter to him. Okay, 67 to 70 of Doctrine and Covenants. Yeah, I'm interested in talking a little bit about uh, parenting children within the context of the gospel. I'm really excited about talking about Scripture. Like, what mm-hmm. is Scripture and how do we define it today yeah. in the context of this time? Yeah. Before we get started in our discussion, should we follow up on yeah, what you're in? let's do it. So today we're talking about Doctrine and Covenants section 67 to 70. In these sections, the saints establish a printing press. They prepare to publish the Book of Commandments, which is later to be known as the Doctrine and Covenants. The Lord is also going to teach the prophet, as well as others that are there, the importance of helping their children to understand. And he's going to give them specific truths to understand. So we're going to focus our discussion today on two things specifically, uh, teaching children to understand and the question, what is Scripture? So to help us to dive into our scriptures better and to understand these topics, we have invited our good friend, Byron Korth. Byron, would you come sit up here with us, beat us up here? You bet. Great to be here with you guys. So Byron, you're an associate professor of religious education at Brigham Young University. You have a PhD in human development and family studies, and you have done a lot of research on the spiritual development of young children. So really these sections are going to be some of your fortes as far as raising children and helping us to be spiritually prepared. Yeah, I really enjoy and love the part uh, that talks about what the Lord is commanding the people to do is to teach their children to understand faith and repentance to be baptized. And so I've really spent a lot of time really pondering on that as a parent of teenagers and a young adult, uh, as well as just in my own studies. And I look forward to visiting with you about that. All right, so maybe we can jump right into it then and focus on this idea of teaching children to understand. Byron, do you want to start us off? In this time here, you've, you've got the November, I think, 1831, where they're talking about the Book of Commandments, which, like you mentioned, will become the uh, Doctrine and Covenants. They're going to be getting this published. It's the same time that we have the preface of the Doctrine and Covenants, Section 1. So it's in that time period where they're getting ready to publish and to share uh, these commandments uh, to the world, really. Yeah, so if we go right into their scriptures, um, Doctrine and Covenants, Section 68, We understand from there in verse 25 specifically, 25 through 28, the Lord is teaching the following. He says, And again, inasmuch as parents have children in Zion or in any of her stakes which are organized that teach them not to understand the doctrine of repentance, faith in Christ, the Son of the living God, and of baptism and the gift of the Holy Ghost, by the laying on of the hands when eight years old, the sin be upon the heads of the parents. That sounds pretty easy. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) doesn't it though? (laughs) <laughs> so the thing is, in this scripture, and this is actually coming from Elder Bednar, um, he talks a lot about this verse and other verses that are surrounding it. And he says the following. He says, here is the hard doctrine. It does not say to teach our children. Teaching is an activity. Understanding is an outcome. It is a result. It is easy for us to say, I teach my children in the home. That is not the job we have been assigned. That is not the admonition. It says that we are to teach them to understand. So maybe, Byron, you can kind of help us through this as he's talking about these verses. What is, what is the difference between teaching somebody to understand versus just teaching? I mean, you have a background in, in this, and maybe you can kind of walk us through this a little bit. Well, I, I really appreciate that. When we look at these scriptures here, they're talking about church organization. They're talking about uh, putting the Book of Commandments together. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, there's the Lord commanding them that parents who have children in Zion are to teach them the doctrine of Christ. Elder Bednar really is helping us and inviting us to look at how we might not necessarily teach a particular principle, but help them to understand it so that they will choose to follow it, choose to to live it, choose to uh, internalize it into their lives there. The distinction, if I understand you correctly, is it's not so much 
we're focusing on how to articulate something as we are focusing on how can we get them to internalize what is articulated. Yeah. And, and so then it, it doesn't become just a lesson, but now you really start looking at the examples that parents live. I can't necessarily think of, of one lesson that my parents taught me growing up, but I really can see how their examples of living the gospel, of striving to read our scriptures, of going to church, Sabbath day worship, that helped me internalize it, and then I could choose what it is that I wanted to follow. I would just say in my life, the biggest lessons that I've learned are from, from my mom's example of, of her doing the right things. Seeing her read the scriptures every day instilled in me that flame of wanting to do that, not just seeing it every day and knowing that I should or being guilt-tripped into it. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. In fact, as we're talking about this word understanding, Elder Bednar and, and the, the Doctrine and Covenant itself gives us kind of a better understanding of that word understand. So if we could, let's go to that next scripture from the Doctrine and Covenants. Verily I say unto you, he that is ordained of me and sent forth to preach the word of truth by the comforter in the spirit of truth, doth he preach it by the spirit of truth or some other way. And if it be some other way, it is not of God. And one of the things that Elder Bednar teaches in here is when you're talking about understanding, you're always talking about the spirit. So the world may talk about understanding in terms of what you cognitively are gaining. Elder Bednar talks about how we're actually trying to understand and helping our children to understand. They have to be able to learn to use the spirit to recognize truth. How do you see this actually playing in children's lives? One thing that comes to mind is understanding means that maybe they've already got something with them. If we really understand that our children come to the from the presence of our Heavenly Father, they come with something. And so our responsibility as parents is to help them understand what really they already have. There's a great quote that, I, that I've drawn on quite a bit by Elder Neil L. Anderson. He says, we hold in our arms the rising generation. They come to this earth with important responsibilities and a great spiritual capacity. We cannot be casual in how we prepare them. Our challenge as parents and teachers is not to create a spiritual core in their souls, but rather to fan the flame of their spiritual core already aglow with the fire of their premortal faith. So when we understand that children come with this fire of premortal faith, our responsibility as, as, as parents then isn't to try to get them to pass a multiple choice test, but we're trying to fan the flame of that, of that faith that they already have so that they will want to continue to follow that. Thank you, Byron. Maybe a question for you guys in the audience then. Some of you are parents, some of you are future parents. How have you fanned the flame? What have you been doing? Yeah, Emma? Well, I know that my parents have taught me through their examples that um, me watching them live the doctrine and watching their own understanding has helped me figure out how I can develop my own understanding. And what are some of the things your parents did? One thing was just watching them magnify their callings in church. I feel like that was a, that was a big one for me, watching them serve other people. We sometimes minimize the effect of examples, but parents by divine design are there to have that influence. When we're examples of the doctrine of Christ, faith, repentance, being faithful to our covenants, uh, we are fanning the flame. Yeah, Angela, please. I think for me, it's been um, pointing out while your kids are really young, um, just recognizing the spirit and just pointing it out, being like, oh, do you feel that warm feeling? Or when you have a spiritual experience, maybe help them see that. 
and just identify and have a name for what they're feeling. That's great. Thanks, Angela. I did a study with a, a number of students that were at Harvard and MIT. I said, what did your parents do that helped you to stay strong in the church, especially as you're working on these higher level degrees, right? And almost all of them said it was their example. And one of the things that stood out doing the research was they allowed for good questions. Well, you guys, I, I think oh, a, a really important point that you're mentioning about questions is from an early childhood standpoint, fanning that faith is asking them, what do you think? When they ask the question, well, what does faith mean? Or why did Christ do that? Or why did Nephi do that in the scriptures? Before we give them some sermon on those scriptures, what do you think? Why do you think that? And as they try to grapple in, in very uh, non-articulate ways, the Spirit's gonna bless them. And then that's where we have this shared edifying experience not because I taught them something, but together we're learning about it. Thank you for that. And my, my kids are still pretty young. And my experience has been they're, they're much more uh, excited to live religion than they are to learn about it. Like anything they can do to use their hands and help people and serve people, they're really excited about that. So giving them opportunities as much as I can to do that and help them to recognize the kind of joy that comes from helping somebody who can't help themselves, that's been really productive in, in my parenting at least. I had that experience just recently. I was bringing some cookies to a neighbor, and I just felt that, you know, why are you doing that? Why don't you involve your children in this? And so rather than going, which I would normally do, just have it done, do it quick, get the service done, right? I mean, that was kind of my mentality. I just felt to ask the girls, like, you know, we have these cookies. Who would you like to bring them to? And then we just had this discussion about who needed cookies in our neighborhood. I mean, it was cute. It's a little seven- and five-year-old talking about who needs it. And then rather than me giving it to them, you know, little Jane says, could I give them the cookies? I want to be the one to put it in their hands. And what a completely different experience had I just grabbed a bunch of cookies and ran it down to the neighbor, dropped it off. That may have served the neighbor's needs for cookies, but it would have done nothing for my family for the most part. And all of a sudden then parents, it turns the other way around as the child teaching me. And, in, and I think when parents can realize, you know what, I need to hear what my kids are saying. I need to hear what my primary what my teenager, what my young woman, what my young man is saying, because I need their teachings to fan my faith, to help me continue to keep striving to do this. And I love this idea of not just teaching them what to know, but teaching them how to learn, right? And this is, uh, in a sense, you're, you're helping them become kind of morally autonomous agents. It's not that just you're just trying to put information in their head and then they're good. Like you want to set them up with the skills to succeed on their own. My parents never really forced there was really no kind of social pressure or anything like that. And the only thing my dad said was, hey, if you want to go on your mission, you need to start saving now. That was the only mission talk I got at all. You know, for better or for worse, one of the effects of that was I had to make a choice for myself. I had to find out if that's where really my heart was. And when I found that it was, I was much more dedicated and sincere because there was something that I wanted. I remember my, my parents loved watching General Conference. And back in the day, we'd actually have to go to the stake center and go to a church and watch it. One day when I was probably just a young teenager, I remember my mom saying, okay, everybody, let's go to General Conference. And I said, I don't want to waste my time. And my mom just looked at me like, how could any of her children ever think that? And she said, okay, that's your choice. And they all piled in the car and went to General Conference and I stayed by myself. And I just remember thinking and feeling and wondering. And then finally, I got myself up, went down to the bus stops and went to the stake center and sat down by my mom. And she just looked at me like, and then she gave me a piece of paper and a pen. 
And it changed my whole view of general conference. She wasn't forcing me to go. I knew it was my choice. But now I teach living prophets. I teach general conference talks all the time. I remember seeing my mother doing the same things. But I was remembering too, as you were telling the stories, that <clears throat> there was a time when I was quite young that my brother, just older than me, had decided not to go to church. And I just looked at him like, why? You know, When we got back, he was so upset that he had missed out. And he had had a real scare while he was home. And he just felt that that was for him. That was teaching him that being there was more important. Thank you, Joan. We've been talking about teaching people, not lessons, as it were, and helping them to internalize doctrine. Have there been instances in your life in which the Lord has helped you to teach in a way that you knew was tailored to the specific needs of your child? Or have your parents ever taught to you in that way um, that was specifically tailored towards your needs? All right, David, yeah. Yeah, I think um, where I've noticed the biggest experience is very positive is when you get and work side by side with your children. That's great. I just want to make another point too, and not to minimize anything here, that there are very righteous, strong parents who did everything they could to set a good example for their children. I mean, we look at Joseph Smith Jr. himself, none of his children stayed strong in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, although I would imagine he was an amazing father doing his best to teach the gospel. So I think we can have some of the most wonderful parents doing amazing things and fanning that flame. And there still is agency. Children still make those decisions. We may not see the fruits of our labors at the very beginning. Uh, we may see our children choosing to go one way or another. But these examples that you've pulled up from your own childhood, and in my mind, they're like saving memories. Think about Alma the Younger, and as he talks about where he is in the depths of despair, and he remembers a father teaching him about the Savior, Jesus Christ. That memory came to him and a moment that saved him. And so his parents are kind of wondering, am I making any difference? Am I doing any good? As we strive to, in our imperfect way, if we're striving to live this doctrine of Christ, we are planting these memories in our children. And someday in future days, they will remember an example as we as parents are living the doctrine of Christ, which is what we're to teach them to understand, as we live it, we are that wind that is fanning that flame there over those embers, creating those memories that will come to fruition in one day there. So this has been a great discussion about teaching children to understand. I wonder now if we can transition and answer this question, uh, what is scripture? Yeah, Byron, maybe as we're getting into this topic, can you give us some historical context here? Yeah, as they're getting ready to publish the Book of Commandments, which is the, the uh, Doctrine and Covenants, they're recognizing imperfections in Joseph's writings. Verse 5 says, Your eyes have been upon my servant Joseph Smith Jr., and his language you have known, and his imperfections you have known. And you have sought in your heart's knowledge that you might express beyond his language, this you also know. So they're kind of going, Joseph's language is a bit rough. In fact, we have this quote from Orson Whitney regarding William McClellan, who's one of them thinking, I, I can do this. I can surely write more articulate, more eloquent than uh, Joseph. Orson F. Whitney says, one of them who thought himself the wisest and who possessed some learning 
took up the challenge and actually attempted to frame a revelation, but it was a flat failure. He could utter, of course, certain words and roll out a mass of rhetoric, but the divine spirit was lacking and he had to acknowledge himself beaten. It is not so easy to put the spirit of life into things. Man can make the body, but God alone can create the spirit. I think that's really pretty powerful of what the Lord is teaching. He basically says, okay, the Lord did say, if you can do it better, then go ahead. In fact, you see that, right? I mean, it's kind of fun because it's like the Lord is putting him up to a challenge. Yeah. Like here you guys all are, you're, you're complaining against the prophet. You don't think his writings are good enough. Let's see you do better. He says in verse, so this is section 67, verse six. Now seek ye out of the book of commandments, even the least that is among them and appoint him that is the most wise among you. Or if there be any among you that shall make one like unto it, then you are justified in saying that you do not know that they are true. But if you cannot make one like unto it, you are under condemnation if you do not bear record that they are true. And so this William McClellan, I mean, it, it, it almost wanted, you just think he must be somewhat pompous, you know, as, as you were just saying, Byron, it was a, a flat failure. William McClellan actually ends up saying, oh my goodness, yes, Joseph, you're right. He repents, to the, he repents uh, before the Lord and he actually signs his name. You see that in verse nine, they have to bear record and was the Lord's revelation. There was, there was no great scholarly behind it. There was right. no PhD necessary. God had spoken. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's really the main point there. God has spoken. He says there in verse four, and now I, the Lord, give unto you a testimony of the truth of these commandments, which are lying before you. They were actually supposed to take these book of commandments and go teach the gospel throughout the world. I mean, this was their set of scriptures. They didn't have a preach my gospel yet. This is all they had. This is what Emma says. Joseph Smith could neither write nor dictate a coherent and well-worded letter, let alone dictate a book like the Book of Mormon. And though I was an active participant in the scenes that transpired and was present during the translation of the plates and had cognizance of things as they transpired, it is marvelous to me, a marvel and a wonder as much so as to anyone else. I am satisfied that no man could have dictated the writings of the manuscript unless he was inspired. For when acting as a scribe, your father, this is an interview with her son, your father would dictate to me hour after hour and when returning after meals or after interruptions, he could at once begin where he left off without either seeing the manuscript or having any portion of it read to him. This was a usual thing for him to do. It would have been improbable that a learned man could do this. And for one so ignorant and unlearned as he was, it was simply impossible. So even Joseph's wife recognized that he was not literate. He didn't have the skill necessary to be doing this. And so you can see why these men who were putting kind of their lives on the line in a sense, their reputation on the line were concerned. In the end, what scripture is, is not how eloquent or how articulate or how well worded is, but it, what comes from God through his uh, mouthpieces, the prophets. So then in, this, in section 68, the Lord is actually talking about what scripture is. So he's actually revealing this as part of his revelation, starting in verse three, the Lord says, and this is the example unto them that they shall speak as they are moved upon by the Holy Ghost. And whatsoever they shall speak when moved upon by the Holy Ghost shall be scripture, shall be the will of the Lord, shall be the mind of the Lord, shall be the word of the Lord, shall be the voice of the Lord and the power of God unto salvation. So according to this verse or these verses, what are we understanding that scripture is? Yeah, please, David. What I receive from the Holy Ghost is not something that I can necessarily classify or you could classify as scripture to you. This is the book that, that we call scriptures. Right. I may have my own journal and be able to keep notes and the Spirit could speak to me and that could be the scripture of Barbara Elaine Morgan Gardner, but that's not the scripture of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Yeah, Emma, please. 
This just reminds me of um, people talk about our patriarchal blessings being our personal scriptures. I think whatever um, we have authority to receive revelation for can be our scriptures. Like the prophets, they receive revelation for the whole church. So what they write down can be scriptures for all of us. But when we receive that personal revelation, like you were talking about, that could be our own personal scriptures for ourselves. Excellent. And in fact, President, um, President Jacob McClark says this, he says, in considering the problem involved here, and he's referring specifically to section 68 verse four, it should be in mind that some of the general authorities, meaning the apostles, have had assigned to them a special calling. They possess a special gift. They are sustained as prophets, seers, and revelators, which gives them a special spiritual endowment in connection with their teachings of the people. They have the right, the power, and the authority to declare the mind and the will of God to his people, subject to the overall power and authority of the president of the church. Others of the general authorities are not given this special spiritual endowment. And then he continues to just help us understand that it's only the president of the church that actually can speak for God in all things and actually declares the specific doctrine. But we can all also receive our own personal scripture as well. Barbara, I think we have a, a video from a viewer at home with a question about this. Thank you. Mabuhay everyone. I am PJ from the Philippines. Revelations are an important aspect of the church that sets it apart from the rest and we still continue to receive church revelations in our day. So my question is, how can we translate these new church revelations into traditions that we can teach within our families and in our homes, and that we can also pass on to the future generations? Thank you. That's, that's a great question. How, how do we turn revelations into positive traditions? Just one thought that Please. I have is I think as we hear our President Nelson has been very clear that the restoration of the church is ongoing. And so as we, as our, in our homes, hear our prophets and apostles teach us about now a two-hour church or about a come follow me program that we need to be more home-centered in our gospel study, we make those revelations into traditions as we incorporate them, as we try to live them, as we try to apply them in our lives and, and it's going to be pretty incredible here in a decade or two to see the fruits of our home focused as we've tried to make that a tradition and our children grow up to be parents and now they have that tradition into their lives. And I love this word tradition because it's, I mean, it, it implies an ongoing process, right? It's not just a one-time thing. And it gets, again, I've mentioned this before, but it gets back to this idea that uh, this distinction between what um, Elder Bednar refers to as uh, spiritual sprinters and somebody who has the endurance to maintain those kind of habits and, and routines. And I think this is what um, the church wants us to do is to incorporate these kinds of uh, teachings into our lives on a regular basis such that they become habit and just a part of who we are as a people. It, it kind of fits also with section 70. We chatted about this a little bit in the section heading specifically. It says, this revelation was given after the conference voted that the revelations were worth to the church the riches of the whole earth. And we're talking about children in these sections and we're talking about the scriptures and coming unto Christ and traditions of a family. When you look at these, Byron, where, what is the Lord teaching us here? I think what we realize looking at the scriptures from a familial lens is we see that Heavenly Father is establishing a celestial pattern here on the earth. Families, as Elder Uchtdorf says, are not just something to be cast away once this life is over. They are an echo, he says, of a celestial pattern. And so what our Heavenly Father is trying to do is establish this pattern here on the earth. Parents are part of a divine pattern and they are the ones that have been charged to teach their children. Just like our heavenly parents taught us premortally, 
which then motivated us to choose to follow the Savior because we understood that plan from our heavenly parents. Our earthly parents have the same capacity, even in our own imperfect way, of being able to, again, fan that flame and awaken in our children what they believed in premortally. They believed in a Savior. They believed in and chose to follow this great plan. And so our Heavenly Father, I think in these scriptures, trying to establish that pattern, a celestial pattern that we can experience here in Families on the Earth. So this has been an excellent discussion on what is scripture, and thank you, Byron, for your expertise and bringing your comments and insights in, into our discussion. Yeah, thank you so much, Byron. Thank you also to our wonderful audience here. Thanks for your insights, your comments. It's been great listening to you and especially hearing your experiences today. Thank mm -hmm. you. And to those of you at home, thank you for sending us your comments and questions and insights via social media. Come join us in the studio sometime, but if you can't, we hope you'll tune in next week on Come Follow Up. Thanks. Thanks so much. Come Follow Up is a production of BYU Broadcasting.